Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, says that there is nothing new under the sun. And what that means is that our human endeavors, the things that we do, will not reverse the process of repeating what's been already done. Whatever that we try to do, eventually, a lot of times, that we will end up repeating over and over again. Yes, there are new things. There are new gadgets, the technology. But when it comes to human interactions, the way we deal with each other, the way we relate to one another, and the fallout resulting from them, there is really nothing new under the sun. And it's because of our sinfulness, because of our sinfulness, we've been constantly dealing with strife and conflicts among people, society against society, nation against nation. Ever since the dawn of human history, there has been just nonstop fighting among the people, starting, very fr uh, starting from Adam and Eve. When they fell, they were busy pointing fingers, and their sons, Cain and Abel, Cain just could not stand Abel. So he ends up murdering him. Sarah and Hagar, the, the, wife, uh, the wife of Abraham and, and the concubine, they were constantly fighting conflicts, and the list goes on and on. So when it comes to human dealings, our relationships and the fallout, there is really nothing new under the sun, what we do as human beings. There's a saying, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's saying that there are lessons to be had from history, and it would be wise to learn from wrongdoings of the past generations or in the past so as not to make or repeat the same mistakes. If you do not learn from your past mistakes and wrongdoings, then you will repeat those same mistakes. If you don't take time to evaluate and learn from these things, learn the lessons, and it's because of your negligence or ignorance, you will follow the same pattern as before. We as human beings, we're habitual beings. We easily get into habit of doing things. And that is why addiction is so powerful. You know, you get into a certain habit, and then you get hooked, and before you know it, you get addicted. Whether it be pornography, alcohol, or maybe, I don't know, maybe video games, or what have you. The reason why at this time in, in our country that there is a, uh, why the southern states especially have a spike in COVID cases is because they did not really learn, they didn't really bother to learn from what the New York state has had to go through back in March. They didn't learn. It's like, well, I mean, let's just f forget this, like, uh, shutting down. Let's just go for it and open up. And I even heard of the, the report uh, that there are some college students who are having parties, and they're, they're the first person to get the COVID will get the prize. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Some of the things that are happening. Oftentimes, we do not learn the lessons from the past because it takes humility 
to learn from the past missteps. Because it means that you have to admit that you were wrong. By admitting that you were wrong, or what they did in the past is wrong, and it, it takes humility. Because if you're not, of course, you're going to be in denial. Eh, whatever, you brush it off. You know, after um, talking about surrendering his rights as an apostle and making himself a servant to all, even though he is free himself for the sake of the gospel, in chapter 9, here in chapter 10, Paul mentions Old Testament examples as a warning to all of us if you do not take heed. In verse uh, 6, he, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And also in verse 11, I'm going, I'm going back and forth here, but uh, in verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions. Here, Paul links the past history as a lesson for us. So then, what, does, what, what, do we need to, what, do, what do we need to learn? What are the lessons that we should take heed? So I have two things. The first point is the danger or the, the warning against false security. The warning against false security. You know, as we have been studying in the, in the Corinthians, we see that there were some overconfident members, Christians in the church, who thought that they were really wise, right? to the point where they wanted to reject the teachings of Paul, who thought that they knew the Bible pretty well. Even as we see in chapter 8, food offered to idols. They say, oh, I know my theology. You know, idols are nothing, right? I know what the Bible says. God is the only one who's really real. So there is no issue with eating food offered sacrifice to idols. I know my theology, right? And so there were people that are pretty confident about their own abilities, their own wisdom, the, the knowledge that they, that they possessed, right? And they thought that they, they could pretty do whatever, right? Because they already know. And yet Paul says, do not be so sure of yourselves. Because in chapter 8, verse 2, the Corinthians chapter, yeah, chapter 8, verse 2, it says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. You think you know? Think again. Right? And in verse 12, right, in this uh, chapter 10, verse 12, you know, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands Take heed lest he fall. Do you think you know everything? Right? No, you don't. He says, look at the Israelites, what they had to go through. Take the example of Israelites. Verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. He's talking about how under this, the, the cloud and just passing through the sea, he's reminding the readers of what Israel uh, went through 
as they were, you know, coming out of Egypt during the Exodus, right? That God led them, guided them through the pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. And also they, he led them miraculously, right? Incredibly delivered them from the, uh, the hands of Egyptian army by parting the Red Sea, right? Israel tasted and enjoyed spiritual blessings that no other nation could have even imagined. God was with them and led them every step of the way. But what happens? Verse 2, it says, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That they were baptized into Moses. What does that mean? You know, Christian baptism... It symbolizes our identification with Christ. Baptism identifies the believer with Christ. We are identified with Christ through his death and resurrection. When we are baptized, we are saying that we are now identified with him. We belong to him. We are united with Christ. Likewise, Israelites were baptized into Moses in the sense that Israel Israel was identified Moses as he led them every step of the way. So in that way, Israel was baptized into Moses. Israel was delivered from Egypt, just as Christians, Christians are delivered from the world and sin through Christ. And Israelites, in verses 3 and 4, it says, they all, the, the Israelites all ate the same spiritual food, manna, and drank the same spiritual drink. So they enjoyed all the possible miraculous provision. They really enjoyed all of it. But that did not guarantee them, that did not guarantee that God was pleased with every one of them. In verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Even though they experienced the tremendous blessings that no one could have ever really just uh, experienced at that time, like they were basically baptized into Moses, and they experienced every single day God's supernatural miracles, and yet God was still displeased with them. Of the adults who came out of Egypt, who were over the age of 20, only Caleb and Joshua were allowed to enter the promised land. They all received God's blessings in the wilderness, but only two were allowed to enter into the promised land. Just because you have uh, experienced spiritual blessings in the past does not mean that you can now take your foot off the pedal and kind of take it easy. While it is important to remember God's blessings, we are not to be stuck in the past and live in the past. I used to have this attitude. I remember the good old days, you know, how I used to be so passionate for God. I have really experienced God in such an amazing, intimate way, how sweet it was. But that was way in the past. Maybe when I was in high school, college days, straight out of seminary. Great. Praise God. 
but how is your spiritual life now as we are going through this pandemic? As there's a, the line between work, and home, work life and home life is being blurred, how is your spiritual life now? Not three months ago. Maybe you may have been doing well, walking with the Lord. So great. Even leading up to pandemic. Praise God for that. But what about now? Are you still counting the blessings that you have received in the past and hoping that that will get you through, write it out with the past blessings? Paul says, that is not the right attitude. As we, a passage I talked about in chapter, uh, last week, in chapter 9, verse 27, uh, it says this, but, but I discipline my body and keep it under down, oh, keep, uh, keep it under control, lest another, uh, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Wow, what a statement. And after doing all that he can to be faithful to the calling that he has received from the Lord by preaching the gospel, that he would still beat himself up to the point of beating himself up so that he makes sure that he will not be disqualified himself. He doesn't mean that he doubted his salvation. He's not saying, that, oh, I'm, maybe I'm going to lose my salvation. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about how he would live as one who does not take it for granted. He knows that his, he belongs to God. But he lives as though he doesn't know for sure. He doesn't take it for granted. Oh, you know, I know how it was. I mean, on the way to Damascus, oh my goodness, what an amazing time that I had. What an you know, incredible conversion that I had. I remember back when, and I'm going to live off of that blessing. You know, when God chose me like that, when God blessed me like that, that is good enough. That's a sign that I'm doing okay with God. So I'm going to live off of that, right? My spiritual life, Christian life, that way. No, he says, I'm going to beat my body. You know, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm just going to count my past blessings and I'm satisfied with it. I am so content. So I'm just going to, you know, now, you know, that's how it was. So I'm going to live off of that. I'm just going to kind of take my foot off the pedal kind of just take life easy. I'm just kind of go easy now, right? Because I knew how great it was. God was really good to me two years ago, three months ago, five years ago. So I'm good. I'm good with God. Paul is saying, take heed. He's warning against the false sense of security or the comfort from the past. 
And that's what the Corinthians were doing. Oh, you know, God, you know, through Christ, he made, you know, he made us his own. What an amazing grace. I am so thankful for what Christ has done for me. Praise God. And just kind of take the, just penny themselves on the back and say, wow, you know, we're, we've been really good. You know, God is so good. But then kind of took their foot off the, the pedal, kind of started going easy. And their knowledge started building. It puffed without true love for the Lord. If you think that you are chummy with God based on how it used to be, think again. Since you commit evil desires that you have that are manifested by your actions will incur God's wrath. Israelites, day in and day out, they have experienced God's blessing. Every single day, they have received miracle. They have experienced miracle. Manna, out of nowhere, in the, in the wilderness, God provided food. When they were so thirsty, God would provide water. When they were stuck, no way out, God parted the Red Sea. They experienced amazing blessings of God. And yet, because they did not follow the Lord after, they thought, okay, it's good. We are God's chosen, so we can just kind of not go easy. God was not pleased with them. The Bible is full of people who started out pretty well. Even King Saul, when he was young, when he first became king, he was a humble man. He started out well, only to fail because of their disobedience. And I know a lot of pastors that I've known personally, or even some people that are nationally so well-known, huge followings, only to fall in later years of their ministry. It's not how you really start, but how you finish, how you end. So one of my prayer topics is like, Lord, let me finish well. Let me finish the race. It's not a matter of like how, what an amazing time I had in the past, right? And I'm thankful, definitely. But what would that do now in my life? Right? Of course, I have, to be, I have to remind myself of the goodness of God, grace of God, that he has shown me in the past. And I need to be constantly reminded. But that doesn't guarantee that I am really walking with God now or in the future. Um, in verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Right? So Paul uses the examples. The events uh, in the wilderness were not just meant to be bedtime stories. He's saying, learn from Israel's sins. And we can see the parallel with the experience of the church. Because he says, you know, it is written down for, uh, so it goes in verse 11. I'm going back and forth once again. Uh, it says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Do not desire evil as they did, Paul says. And literally, it means do not lust. 
Do not lust after evil. Do not crave evil in your heart. Because it all starts from our heart. It's not just outward behavior, but it starts from our heart. And following verses show us more specific forms of evil desires, the improper lusts. In verse 7, it's talking about idolaters. It is referring to the incident of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32, when um, Moses was in the Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. While he was gone for some time, the Israelites, they were just they were running out of patience and then just like really just urged Aaron to build a golden calf so that we may worship him. Right? And after that, they took down after they just made their offering and just worshipped their golden, worshipped a golden calf, they sat down, they drank, and they ate, they played, or they danced, right? And that's what it's referring to in this verse, verse 7. The people ate the ritual meal offered to an idol. Does that remind you of what Paul was talking about in chapter 8? The foods offered to idols? Anything or anyone that we treasure above God is an idol. The first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not have other gods before me. Idolatry. What or who we cherish is what we will serve, that what we will worship. If you really cherish and treasure money, then that's what we're going to worship. That will be our idol. If it is our children, that they are our idols because we cherish them more than God. He says, do not commit idolatry. That's an evil desire. And in verse 8, it says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. It's referring to Israel committing fornication at Peor uh, in Numbers 25. They were participating, and as they were just going through the, the land of Moabites, you know, they were participating in the worship of Baal of the Moabites. And they were engaging in sexual immorality with their, their women, right, as they were worshiping Baal. And because of that, the, the plague came. And then they were, uh, they, they, 24,000 people actually just died, right? And in uh, verse 9, it's referring to Numbers 21, right? Because it says, uh, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. That incident was recorded in Numbers 21, that the fiery servants, serpents came because people spoke against God and Moses. As they were going through the wilderness, you know, during the, the 40 years' time, they were complaining. They were complaining against God and to Moses. He said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? At least in Egypt, we could have had some nice food. But out here in the wilderness, there's nothing, right? And all we have is this worthless food. Can you imagine? They were receiving daily miraculous provision that is manna. And after a while, they got sick and tired of it. So they just... uh, grumble against God and Mo- they were just blaming God and blaming Moses. You brought us out of Egypt. 
and now we are going to die here. Why did you leave, uh, bring us out of Egypt? Do something, right? So God was uh, not pleased, and he sent the serpents. And so a lot of people died. Paul saw that as putting Christ to the test, meaning they were daring God, were testing God to act on their behalf. If you are God, you would do something about it. Right? All we're eating is like this worthless food, manna. Can you do something else, God? Moses, tell God to do something about it. Right? If you are God, if you are Moses, do something. I dare you. We dare you. They are testing God. What audacity. How often do we put God to the test, charging him to act on our behalf? If you love me, God, or if you are God, you would do this for me. I don't really know if you really love me. Do this, then I will know. When we say something like that or pray along that line, we are really just putting God to the test. We are asking, you'd better do something to prove that you are God or to prove your love for me. But wasn't that the, but wasn't that the devil's temptation of Jesus? Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, right? Because the Bible says that he will command his angels to protect you. So you are not going to get hurt. See, I'm using the scripture. Well, he's obviously putting that out of context, and leaving out some things. But he says, go ahead and do it. Prove yourself to be the son of God, right? To me. Because I'm not fully convinced. Prove yourself. Do something. Throw, your, throw yourself down to prove. And Jesus responds by saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You are not, we are not to the test. That's evil. Right? Do we at times put God to test? Putting Christ to test? By saying, God, if you really love me, if you really care about me, you need to do this. Act. Do this now for me. Then I will know that you love me. Forget the cross. Forget what the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You do this for me now. Putting God to the test is evil. And in verse 10, it says, Do not grumble, right? Uh, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. It's talking about Numbers 16, chapter 16. The destroyer here is an angel, that the angel who brought the plague uh, because of the grumbling of the Israelites against Moses and Aaron. What happened is Korah came uh, in, in the early part of chapter 16. Korah, he was uh, one of the Levites, and he just spoke out against Moses and Aaron. Who do you think you are, right? Why do you place yourselves above God's people? You guys are acting like you are princes. You know, we all are God's chosen people. Who do you think you are, right? Why do you tell us what to do? Why do you lead us, right? So Korah and some other people challenged the authority of Moses and Aaron. So God, you know, I guess... Uh, authenticates or, you know, just proves that, that indeed Moses and Aaron 
were God's chosen leaders by destroying the Korah and his, uh, some of his followers. The very next day, the people having seen what God has said, basically just that the earth opened and these people were swallowed up alive, right? Having witnessed that, the following day in uh, Numbers chapter 16, once again, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You killed God's people. We are the chosen people of God, and because of you guys, you, Moses and Aaron, right? Korah and his people were dead. They were grumbling, right? What does that tell us? They refused to recognize that God has ordained circumstances, certain way. They refused to accept that, and they grumbled, right? Unless we recognize that God is sovereign and trust in his plan, trust in him, we will also end up grumbling and rebelling against God. That is some list of sins. Instead of being grateful for God's miraculous deliverance and trusting in him, Israelites kept disobeying because they did not really trust God, kept challenging God's authority in Moses and Aaron. Sin at its core is rebellion. We are saying that I'm the center of the universe. I am my own God. I refuse to accept the authority of God in my life. God, and God judged their idolatrous conduct, even though they had been graciously delivered from Egypt. And God will do the same to Corinthians who persist in sin. You know, spiritual privileges and blessings never give us license to sin. Oh, I remember. Oh, what a privilege. What a blessing. Now I can just kind of go easy, compromise here and there, cutting corners. Rather, blessings God has graciously given us gives us the greater responsibility to obey and glorify God. Right? Pastor Jay you know, talked about last week about how uh, we need to really to witness for Christ. Now that, they, now that we know the gospel, it is on us now to be his witnesses and bring honor to him. That is what we are called to do. Take heed. Don't have this false sense of security just because you were incredibly blessed by, blessed by God in the past does not mean that you now can take your life easy. And the second point, uh, the last point, uh, or, or the lesson is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. It would be pretty depressing if Paul only focused on the past sins of Israel, right? And how there are similarities between Israelites and Christians now. If that's where he stopped, you, you know, it, it would be kind of discouraging. Oh, 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 goodness, you know, like, oh, that's, that's me, that's us, right? But thank God that he does not just stop at giving stern warning. He gives us hope. He reminds us of God's faithfulness even in his warnings. Right? Where do I see it, you may ask? Well, the way Paul understood and interpreted the Old Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that Christ was active. Right? That's how he understood it, understands it. Yes, Jesus did not become incarnate until the New Testament times. 
but he was still active, as we see in verse 4, right? And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual, uh, spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. See, Christ was active in the Old Testament time. And as we see in verse uh, 9, we must not put Christ to the test. Even though there in the Old Testament time, it was the Lord God. But Christ was just as active in the Old Testament time. The sun was there at the, uh, there at the very beginning and was the agent of creation. The one who upholds all things was actively involved in the life of God's people in the Old Testament times, just as he is involved in the lives of the Christians today. The second person of the Trinity did not suddenly uh, appear for the first time at the Incarnation. He's been active. He's been working. He's been leading. He's been guiding. He's been strengthening the people of God, even in the Old Testament time. The Israelites received a supernatural provision, as we talked about. And it's not because they deserved it. Far from it. But because God is faithful to His promises, He was gracious to them despite their unworthiness. The reason why they received manna is not because did they deserve it? Absolutely not. They were disobeying God, rebelling against God, grumbling against God, putting Him to the test, and yet God was faithful to His promises, and He provided. And in the Old Testament time, God is often compared with a rock. There are a couple places where it says, the rock of my salvation. And Paul is saying in verse 4, that rock is Christ. The spiritual rock has been following and providing for them. When they were thirsty, he will provide for them graciously. He was faithful. Paul is making a connection between the Israelites and the Corinthians. The deliverer of the Israelites was, more, uh, was no, uh, none other than our crucified and risen Christ. From the very beginning, God has been true to His promises. He never failed us. It is us who constantly fail God. God is faithful, but we are faithless. And that is a story of human history. Coming of Christ his death and resurrection, his ascension, coming of the Holy Spirit, indwelling and empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit, emphatically proclaim that God is faithful. Paul goes on to say, history did not repeat itself. There's a great promise in verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What a promise. 
he's saying that God is the ultimate backstopper. You know, just as the Federal Reserve is backstopping companies from going under, God's, uh, God's faithfulness will enable us to overcome all kinds of temptations. And what a blessed assurance that is, that God is faithful, that he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Left to ourselves, our feeble efforts and suspect commitments will fail us, and we are doomed to repeat our past mistakes, our past wrongdoings. But God, right? But God. But God is faithful. We are faithless, but God is faithful. We repeat the same mistakes, but God is faithful. We mess up, we stumble, we compromise, but God is faithful to bring us back to him. Temptation in in and of itself is not sin. I mean, Jesus was tempted, but yielding to the temptation is sin. And no matter how unique our temptation may seem, and I think many of us think that what we face is very unique. But you know what? It is not true. What we face, the temptations that we face, is not that unique as we think it is. I mean, sorry to pop your bubble, and I don't mean to really sound insensitive or or like trivialize what you are going through. It may seem unique and overwhelming, but the word of God, the truth, tells us that we face the same struggles that God's people have endured throughout generations. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to men. It's not what we go through, what you go through. It's not so unique that no one else has ever gone through. I'm sorry, but that's what the Word of God tells us. There's no temptation that's so unique. Then the ultimate game changer, God is faithful, and he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. God will provide a way of escape, meaning a way to preserve, uh, persevere without, uh, without sinning in difficult situations. He will not give us anything that we cannot handle as long as we depend on him. And that is the promise God gives to us in this verse. We cannot use our temptations as an excuse for sinning. Sometimes they say, oh, it is just too much. So I'm just going to give in. No, sin is never bigger than God. We cannot say that temptation is so great to overcome. God is greater than any temptation that we may face. And he promises us to strengthen us, to withstand and endure it. There is no need for us to say, here we go again. I cannot help it. But fall into temptation. Or say, oh, I'm good with God. I remember how God was so real to me five years ago, ten years ago. So I'm good with God now. No. 
daily, we are to turn to Him, examine our own hearts, look to Him, cry out to Him, trust Him, humble ourselves before Him, and run after God. May that be our mindset and the lessons that we learn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time, and as we turn to you, Lord, uh, help us to examine our hearts. Um, Lord, if there were, there were people, if some of us, if we were having that false sense of security or comfort based on what you have done in the past, but now we kind of take things easy, cutting corners, Lord, forgive us. Allow us to once again see the examples from Israelites, how they have experienced amazing deliverances, miracle after miracle, and yet still they refused to trust you with all their hearts. And for that, you were not pleased with them. So Lord, help us that we will not just live in the past, but to continue to run the race, look to you, trusting in you, loving you with all our hearts. And along the way, God, remind us and ingrain in us, Lord, that you are faithful because we confess that our efforts, our commitments, disciplines will fail us. Our willpower will fail us when we do not truly depend on you. But Lord, we take comfort and encouragement in the fact that you are faithful to your promises. So help us. Give us a greater measure of faith and trust in you because your word says that you are faithful and you will enable us to withstand and endure the hardships, temptations that we may face. And you will provide a way of escape. Not so much as just kind of walking away from the temptations, but the perseverance and the ability to withstand in the face of temptations. So Lord, help us to trust you in every aspect of our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.